All right, well, we are in week two of this series we're calling Happy, and you probably don't have to uh, try too hard to figure out what this series is all about. We're talking about happiness, and happiness is something that everybody wants. I, I don't know anybody that would say, you know what, too happy. Let's tone it down a notch in my life. I don't want any more. Everybody can get on board with this idea that I would like to be more happy. And, I mean, everybody wants it. And that's why most psychologists agree and most economists, after seeing that, um, how we spend our money, most have agreed that the number one goal for the average American is to be happy. And they look at how we make decisions and how we live our lives, and they've just kind of figured out, we all just want to be happy, and so we make choices for that. And last week, what we looked at, though, is that maybe, just maybe, oops, I meant to do that, maybe, just maybe, we've made too much of happiness. Is it possible, is it, is it possible that maybe we've elevated happiness to a level that it qu can't quite live up to? Uh, maybe happiness wasn't meant to kind of be this main thing in our lives. Maybe it wasn't meant to be this number one goal. And when I say that it's the main thing or the number one goal, what I mean is that most of us agree that we want happiness above all else, and so we kind of make decisions to point us in the direction of happiness. Most of us make choices on a daily basis as to what we think is going to make us happy in terms of work or money or relationships. We just want to be more happy. That is why um, almost the number one little bit of advice you will see in TV shows when there's any sort of a conflict or something is just do what makes you happy. Like, I started pointing that out to Abby. I'm like, just do what makes you happy, which we'll talk about why that's a terrible piece of advice next week. But, but you know, it's just like, why is that the number one goal? Why is happiness, how did happiness become the, the, the greatest thing in our lives? And maybe we've made too much of it. Maybe we've lifted happiness to this unreachable place that it just can't ever live up to. And so, is the main thing of our lives being happiness? So the main goal of our life being happiness, the bulk of our decisions go to making us more happy. And again, happiness is great. It's awesome. But I don't think it was meant to be the number one thing. Happiness is wonderful, but I do not think that it was ever meant to be the driving force of our life. I don't think it was ever meant to be the carrot at the end of the stick, you know, making us march further and faster into life. You see, I look at happiness like dessert, okay? I love dessert, but I don't get dessert all the time. Okay, dessert is kind of the reward or the sweet treat that comes after something special. And dessert is not the main course of any meal. Uh, sure, I've had those dinners where all I had was cake, just like you have, right? But I was always way more excited about it. Like, I always thought it was going to be better than it is. Because when you just eat cake, you're like, I don't feel great about myself, you know? It's like, I think I needed something a little more of substance than just cake. And so it, you think it's going to be better than it really is. And so cake as the main thing, okay, cake and dessert as the follow-up to the, the bulk of your meal, the real meat of life, then it's fine. And the same is true of happiness. Happiness, it's, it's, it's okay. We love it so much. It's great and it's good. But when you make it the main thing, it loses a little bit about what makes it special. When you try to make it hold the entire size of your life and all your good stuff and bad stuff, on, if it's all teetering on this thing that I have to be more happy, then happiness just can't live up to that strain. 
And so if you did miss last week's message, you can go find it on our website, loamicc.com resources. And I would encourage you to do that because as we said last week, we've made too much of happiness. And we kind of laid the groundwork for what we're going to talk about for the rest of this series. Now, again, as I go through this stuff, I do want to be clear. I'm not anti-happiness. Okay, I don't mean to like poop on everybody's party and shame you all for being too happy. You guys need to come to church with more frowns on your faces. That's not what I'm here to do. I love happiness and I want to be happy and I want you to be happy. I want you to be more happy. What I am trying to point out here is that maybe it's a bad idea to take this good thing and make it as if it's the only thing in our lives. Because no matter how much you want to be happy all the time, you cannot be happy all the time. It is absolutely impossible for you to wake up every single day and go to bed every single day having been totally without end happy from beginning to the end of your day. It's just not possible. Because you see, happiness, as good as as it is, it has limits. Happiness has limits. Yes, it's good. But it's not unlimited in its power and scope to make your life better. So let's talk a little bit about what are the limits of happiness. First limit of happiness is happiness is kind of short-lived. You see, happiness is tied to things and moments and events in our life. And so if you have something that comes along that makes you happy, you'll feel happy for a bit. And then it kind of starts to fade away. And, and, and so, like, if your thing that makes you happy is buying stuff, because a lot of us chase after that, thinking, oh, that new car will make me happy, that better house will make me happy, that new job will make me happy. Okay, so we get the new stuff, right? And we're like, oh, this is great, and we're all excited about it, and then the happiness slowly starts to fade. Oh, no, this must have been the wrong thing. I need a new thing. And so you get rid of that car, and you go get a new car, you get a new phone, you get a new job. You, if it's a relationship that you thought would make me happy, and all of a sudden you're not happy with that person, well, you know what you need? You need a new relationship. So dump that girl and go find a new girl, because that girl will make you happy, right? And then that someone makes you happy for a while, and then the happiness starts to fade. That's just how happiness works. It's tied to the circumstances, and the farther out you get from that circumstance, the more happiness tends to drop off and fade a little bit. And so we chase all these things, whether it's money, jobs, success, stuff, uh, education, whatever it is you're chasing, you think, once I get this, it'll make me happy. Turns out, after you get those things, you will discover that never really made me as happy as I thought it would. In fact, what I, I loved as I've been diving into this topic is that there is scientific, psychological research, lots of it out there on how none of this stuff will make you happy. None of this stuff will make your life better. Having that better relationship might not work out for you long haul. Having that house doesn't just mean it's going to fix your life. These things don't create long-lasting happiness in our lives. And so, I wonder, did I really need science to tell me that? Right? Do, I mean, don't we kind of already know Okay, don't we know that winning the lottery isn't going to fix all our problems? I mean, haven't you seen those people who won the lottery and they're like, this is the greatest day of my life. And then seven years later, they're more broke than they were before they won the lottery. And they're like, the lottery, winning the lottery was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Ruined my life. And it's like, see, we know, we know intuitively, deep down, that getting more stuff and chasing after all these things isn't going to just fix our lives. 
but yet we still chase it. In fact, one thing I get to see a lot as a pastor is people who will uh, go on a mission trip to a third world country. And I've heard so many people come back from a, a trip like that and they say, you know what amazed me most? Here I am in this place where people don't have anything that we would consider necessities. And they are more happy, more content, more joyous in life than those of us who have so much stuff we can't even fit our cars in our garages. It's like, yeah, I know, because it's not the stuff. Which, by the way, I used to make fun of people who couldn't get their cars in their garages until I became one. <laughs> and uh, and uh, years, we couldn't get our van in the garage. And this summer, uh, we had some family over, and our boys and my nephew ended up dumping a ton of water in our garage with playing with who knows what. And so there's water like all on the boxes that we had packed in there. So we're like, get everything out of the garage. And we were like, this is our moment. This is our time. And so by a combination of getting rid of a few things and some strategic stacking, for the first time in years, we pulled our van all the way into the garage. And I never forget, I pulled it into the garage and I walked out and my neighbor goes, whoa, car in the garage. He's like, we haven't done that in years. I was like, yeah, I know, I know. Thank you, thank you. I mean, it felt like a special monumental day for me. But, but, um, but isn't that true? Don't we? We have so much stuff, and yet so many people think, I wish I was more happy. Maybe stuff isn't the answer because happiness is short-lived. There is no magic bullet that's going to come into your life and just, boom, you, you've got happiness from there on out. There will be things that make happiness peak happiness will fade. That's just how happiness tends to work. In fact, none of this is new. We shouldn't, again, we shouldn't need science to tell us this stuff. It's not new information. Thousands of years ago, there was a a king in Israel named Solomon, and Solomon is credited with being like the wisest person who ever lived. And Solomon wrote a book we, we call Ecclesiastes. And if you've never read Ecclesiastes, it's a bit of a downer. Because here's the goal of Ecclesiastes. Solomon just decided, I'm going to try everything and see what works. I'm going to get a good job. I'm going to build the nicest house. I'm going to have more money than than anybody has ever had before. I'm going to be the most powerful king with the biggest army, which means he could do literally anything he wanted. He had total power to tell anybody to just jump, and all they had to say was how high, because he was the most powerful person. And he even tried, I'm going to try like sex, and he had so many wives and girlfriends that every time I read it, I'm thinking, why did they call him the wisest guy in the world again? Because that this just trouble, just lots and lots, like, He takes polygamy to like an extreme that I don't think anybody in the history of the world has ever matched before. And and yet, after doing everything, trying everything, and trying to see what would fix his life, this was his conclusion. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. He said, I denied nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. This was the reward for all my labor. And yet... When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was... Oh, I, sorry, I started reading here. Uh, oh, man, I apologize for that. Uh, I'm still not used to the screens, I guess. Uh, when I refused myself... My heart... There we go. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was my toil, the, to, the, the reward for my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was... What's the word? meaningless a chasing after the wind meaning he's trying to like trying to catch the wind in your hand it just there's nothing there when you grasp your hands together nothing was gained under the sun meaning i had all the stuff i had all the wives i had all the girlfriends i had all the pleasure that i could get and yet at the end of the day it was just kind of meh 
At the end of the day, it was fun for a while, but it just didn't stick around. It didn't make any meaningful difference in the course of my life or the course of history because happiness has limits. It just cannot, it just cannot last forever. That's just the nature of what it is. The second, second limit of happiness is that life, life can squelch your happiness. No matter how happy you are, no matter how happy you are on your best day, all it takes is one bad 2 a.m. phone call to drive your happiness away. All it takes is one tiny bit of tragedy to run and, or make happiness head for the hills and never to be seen again. You know, trying to be happy all the time would mean that you have to avoid all tragedy and loss and struggle because those things make happiness leave. I mean, it's hard to be happy when you're sitting in the doctor's office getting bad news. It's hard to be happy when you're at the funeral standing at the foot of the casket. There are just moments that happiness will be so far from you. It is hard to be happy when you're looking at the rubble of your house after a tornado went through. It is hard, impossible even, to be happy in those moments. And so no matter what you try to do, even if your goal is to be happy all the time, life will come and smack your happiness away. It will drive your happiness away. Life is bigger and tougher than any happiness that you can gain through the good moments. And yet sometimes we get so mad because when those things come, don't we kind of personally feel like either God or life is out to get us? And don't we kind of feel like life is out to get us? Like, don't we, don't we get mad because I wanted happiness and why do I not have happiness anymore? And we get so angry, but it's like that, but isn't that life? And when you watch someone else's life, don't we, don't we all know that life goes like this? Don't we all know it, and, but yet we expect our life to just be a constant, you know, happiness just goes up and up and up and everything gets better and better. And yet when it happens to us, we're so shocked. And yet we, we know people get sick. Don't we all know we're going to get old? Like, don't, don't it always surprises me uh, when people are like, I, I never thought I'd, you know, not be able to do what I used to do. But haven't you watched everybody else? Like, didn't that happen to everybody in your family? Didn't that happen? Like, like why? That's, that's one thing I have tried to tell myself all the time. I want to remind myself, and this sounds kind of morbid, but I want to remind myself that one day I'm going to die. Because I'm going to rem- I want to remind myself that one day I'm going to be old, and I'm not going to be able to do the things I used to do. I'm not going to be able to do that anymore one day, okay? Today I can Okay, I can't even do the things with my kids that I used to. And it's like, I got a five-year-old. How, what happened in five years? I'm already on a downward curve sometimes, I feel like, right? And so we know that life has ups and downs and good and bad. And yet when it happens to us, we're shocked by it. And we just think, why am I not more happy? Well, life is bigger than your happiness. And that should not surprise us. Again, it's nothing new. Everybody has gone through this little roller coaster ride called life from, since the beginning of time. In fact, there are very good pieces of evidence in Scripture that this has always been this way. That even for the most faithful, God-fearing people, that life still has ups and downs. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That means that some people are having good days and some people are having bad days. And some days, you get both in one. You have a good day that ends bad. Or you have a bad day that ends good. And sometimes someone's going to mourn with you. Sometimes people are going to rejoice with you. But that's just life. In James chapter 5, 13 through 14, it says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. All of those things mean that that's life. 
You can be sick, you can be happy, you can be in trouble, and that's just how life goes. And so no matter how much you and I want to be happy, happiness will always be limited to your circumstances. It cannot show up on some days, and that's not the worst thing in the world. It's just a reality of life. That doesn't mean we need to figure out how to make um, bad news at the doctor's visit more cheery. Okay, that doesn't mean that we have to find a way to spice up our funerals so that they're a little more exciting. That's just a truth of life. Life will always be there to take away happiness sometimes. So, um, and I, is that downer enough for you all yet? Okay, I, hope, I, just, I wanted you to walk away from church so depressed and so sad. I mean, if you're crying when you get in your car, man, I, I did my job today, I guess, in this sermon series on happiness. See, it's a little bit of, of a trick when you talk about happiness because, again, I don't, I don't want to give you the impression that I'm anti-happiness. I'm not. This is just realities of life that are kind of painful that oftentimes we don't want to swallow these pills because we're so wanting to be happy. The third limit to happiness, and this is the best one yet and the hardest one to overcome, you. You are the biggest limitation to you being happy. Because we as human beings, we naturally make dumb choices. That's just who we are. The Bible says that over and over again, that you and I will make bad choices. We will make painful choices, selfish choices, hurtful choices, choices that hurt our relationships and hurt the people that we claim to care about. We will end up broke because we made dumb money choices. We will hurt ourselves with this respect. One of the things that never ceases to amaze me is how often I see people who will live their life for the short-term win at the expense of the long-term win. We will take something that means here and now at the expense of, of what might come later. This is, I think, why our country is in such bad shape when it comes to retirement. But you know how many people like, have no retirement, but yet you know, they got, we've got cable and we've got internet. Internet is now, what do they, they call it, cable internet? It's now a, uh, a utility, right? So, so, okay, yeah, but it's an expensive utility, right? And yet, when we retire, we have no, we, so because we want the short-term win, we want now at the expense of later, and we don't think about later. One of the funniest studies that I found as I was looking through this, and this is, this is so hilarious to me because I feel like I would be the guy in this study. Okay, so they got a group of people together, and they gave them a hypothetical situation. They said, here's the assumption starting this little study. You are in a great relationship with a wonderful person, okay? Great relationship, wonderful person, okay? And then, the one thing that this person that you're in a relationship with wants is they want to get in better shape and lose some weight. And so you are constantly telling them, every time they say, man, I wish I could lose some weight. Man, I wish I could be in better shape. So you tell them how they can do that. You give them good, solid advice on how they can lose weight and get in better shape. And then all of a sudden, after months of not listening to you, after months of not taking your advice, they come home from work, and they say, you are never going to guess. I met somebody at work, and man, they have got me so fired up. I'm going to make the changes I need to make. I'm going to do all these things to get in shape and finally lose weight. And you say, honey, baby, sweetie, that is so great. What, what did they tell you to do? And then they give you the exact same advice that you've been giving them for months on end. So, okay, that's the scenario. You have two options. Option A is to angrily and be in a frustrated manner say, what in the world do you think I have been telling you for months? Have you not listened to me? Do you not care about a single word I say? Or option B, that's great. I am so happy that you're finally excited about it. Now, 85% of people acknowledged option B 
was probably the better choice for a happier relationship. 85% said option B is better. 72% still picked option A. Because we would rather be right than happy. Think about that. Statistically speaking, you would rather be right and go, ha ha, than you would live a long-term happy life. How dumb is that? And I think, and I do it, I sit at home and it's like, there's times I think, keep your mouth shut, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, and it comes out anyway. And it's like, and, I, and then I'm like, why? Why did, I, why, did I, why did I do that? Why did I say those things? I said a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, my, my wife and um, her two sisters were here, and I went on an in-depth analysis of why they were all turning into their mother. Why? Why? You know that I shouldn't have said that, right? Why didn't you stop me? That was dumb. And yet we do that because we would rather be right, and I was right, by the way. They are all turning into their mother. Somebody stop me, please. I'm too dumb for my own good, right? But, but yet we get in our own way. Nobody is going to hurt your life more than you. Nobody is a bigger enemy to you than you. That's just how we are, and that's one of the most frustrating things about being human. And so happiness, no matter how much we want it, is going to have its limits. Proverbs 14.12 says there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. That's kind of, we think we know what's best, but usually it's not. And so that's why God tries to help us out with so many things. And so maybe happiness, as good as, as, good as it is, and again, I hope you have as more happy days than bad days, and I hope I do too. I really want us to be happy, but maybe happiness was never meant to be the, the main thing propping up your life. Maybe happiness just can't handle that kind of weight. Maybe happiness, it's just not good enough to, to, to hold you up and everything else up. And maybe when we choose to live only for happiness, maybe we are setting ourselves up for failure because happiness can't be around all the time. Maybe we're setting ourselves up for disappointment because happiness can't be around all the time. It is just impossible. Maybe there's something better to build our lives on. And because you're in church, it should not surprise you at all that the preacher is going to say that thing that you should prop your life on is actually God. Right? No one's shocked. Nobody gasped, right? That shouldn't blow you away that I said God is going to be better for you than happiness. And pursuing God is going to be better for you than pursuing happiness. That's just a better reality. Because you know what? God has no limits. He has no limits at all. Okay? God isn't limited to only showing up at certain moments in your life. God isn't kept out of your life by your bad choices. And God can walk with you and beside you even on your darkest of days. He never leaves your side. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. God comforts us in all all of our troubles. He is there for you at the deepest, darkest valley you could ever possibly find your way into. And there will be moments in your life that are so heartbreaking, happiness will be miles away. In fact, there will be moments in your life that are so heartbreaking, you will think, will I ever be happy again? But in those moments that are so big that they've driven happiness far from your life, God is there with you. He is beside you through anything that you go through. And 
again, not to be the Debbie Downer, but a little bit of a realist here, bad things are going to happen. It's only a matter of time. That's one of the reasons why my job exists. That's one of the reasons why when I was in Bible college, I had someone tell me that being a minister is great job security because nobody's ever just going to have the most awesome life. And even when people don't want ministers around uh, and good stuff, you know, guess who gets calls at 2 a.m.? People have bad things that are going to happen. And it's inevitable. But God will be there with you through every single tiny step of the way. And you might feel like you could never be happy again, but God will be beside you providing deep, deep comfort. In fact, what I have discovered is that people often come closest to God in those moments when they feel like everything else is gone. Because it's in those moments that they discover how real God is, how close God is. And I think it's because for the first time, maybe in a long time, the distractions are gone. The, all the little shiny things that we were like, ooh, this is fun, ooh, this is fun, all that stuff is gone, and we have nothing to do but realize what really matters and what's really there. And we learn that God has been with us all along, every step of the way. And so again, happiness isn't evil. It's not wrong to be happy. Uh, I hope you have the best, most happy Sunday you've ever had. This weather surely will help. Happiness is amazing, but it is absolutely limited, and it cannot carry you through the worst days like your heavenly Father can. Happiness can be there at weddings, but it's hard to find at funerals, but God's there at both. Happiness is easy to find when you've got all the money in the world, but it's hard to find happiness when you're sitting there worried how you're going to feed your kids, but God is there in both. And so we need to realize what is worth our time, what is worth our energy, and what can hold up the power and the weight of our life, and that only God can do that. And so I want you to just understand for a moment what is really the goal of your life. I just want you to think, what is really the goal of your life? What are you really, what are you really basing your decisions on when you get that new house, or why did you need that new car right then? You know, why do you have to have that thing you can't afford right now? Like, why, what is it that drives your focus and your attention? And most of us don't say, I want to be happy, but at the end of the day, that's kind of it. You ever got the itch to buy something? I don't know what your something is. Clothes, car, some people. See, guys, here's the difference between guys and girls. Girls will go home, and they're like, I spent 50 bucks at Target. Guys come home, and they're like, I bought an $8,000 jet ski. Like, that's how, like, guys might not buy anything for years, but, they, but when we do, we go big. Like, we don't, we don't mess around, okay? So I don't know what your thing is that you kind of get that itch to buy, okay? I don't, but why? Why do you have that itch? Why do you think, I have to get this right now? Is it gonna, what's it going to fix? What's it going to make better in your life? It'll peak for a minute, and it'll fade, because that's the nature of happiness. So why do you make the choices that you make? Are you reaching for happiness? Because I think a far better destination for you is God, and God is far more concerned with you being His than He is about you being happy, because happiness is so fleeting. It's an emotion that comes and goes, but He will be with you through absolutely everything. And so if you're here today, and you think, maybe I've been making bad choices. Maybe I've, been put, maybe I've been running towards the wrong thing. Maybe I've been reaching for the wrong stuff in my life, living for the wrong purposes. I want to invite you to come talk to me at the end of the service. I'm going to be in the back of the room by those doors for the rest of the service. The only time I'm going to leave, I'll go in the back, take my microphone off, so that if you do come talk to me, you don't have to worry about sharing your deep, dark secrets with everyone in the church. Uh, so I'll go take my microphone off, and then I'll come back and stand by those doors back there. And if you think, you know what, maybe, maybe Maybe I do need to 
give God a chance. Maybe I have been chasing happiness, and you know, I've been wondering why my life wasn't better. Maybe I've been building my life on stuff that can't hold me up. I would love to talk with you. And maybe you're not quite ready to take a next step with God or really, you know, dive on in and start believing all this stuff. But maybe you're curious and you think, okay, okay, Mr. Preacher with a tie, answer me this. Maybe you got a question. I would love for you to come and ask me that too. So I'll be in the back of the room for the rest of the service. Now, uh, before we do that, we're going to take communion. Servers, if you would please go prep to serve communion. Uh, communion is, is for those of us who are already believers. It is for those of us who have already decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life for me. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And communion is one of the ways that we remember why we base our life on God. Because we were stuck in our sin. We were stuck in a mess called sin. And, and maybe you don't call it sin, but we've all done horrible things, thought horrible things, said horrible things, committed these kind of crimes against what God would, how, how God would want us to live. And so we were stuck in that. We were criminals in God's sight. And because God didn't want us to die for our crimes, because that's the punishment for crimes against God, death, he sent Jesus into the world to take that punishment away. He sent Jesus into the world to die for our crimes. So we don't deserve, we deserve the crime, we deserve the punishment, excuse me, Jesus took the punishment so that we could walk away free, have our sin paid for, have our, our debt with God removed, and we could walk free and clear and have eternity with God, we could have salvation with God, we could have unity with God and a hope of salvation forever and ever and ever. And the thing about if God is willing to give his life for you, that means you don't have to wonder who's on your side. If God is so in love with you and so desperately desires to be with you and rescue you that he is willing to step into this messy life that we have and to die for you, there is no place in your life where God will not follow you. There is no dark path you could walk down that will ever be far, too far for God to follow. And so one of the reasons why we take communion every week is just to remember the size of God's love for us and to remember how deeply he is pursuing us and he is with us through absolutely anything. And so we take communion every week to remember how good we got it because of Jesus. And so if you are a uh, believer, a baptized believer in Christ, we invite you to take with us this morning. We practice what's called open communion at Loami Christian Church, which means any baptized believers are encouraged and invited to take along with us. The way it happens here is we pass those plates in just a few minutes, and when they go by you, you'll find a bunch of stacked cups, itty-bitty, teeny, teeny, tiny cups, right? And so you take a little stack, and when you pull them apart, the bottom cup has a little, little tiny piece of bread in it, and the top cup has juice in it. The bread represents Jesus' body broken for us, and the top cup with the juice represents his blood poured out for us so that we might have life and the gift of salvation that he gives us absolutely free this morning. And so as we take communion, don't forget God loves you, and he is big enough to follow you into the darkest places of life, and if he can do that, there's no place you can go where you're ever alone. He is always, always with you. He has no limits. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather as your church. We thank you for this time to learn and study your word. We pray, Father, that, that we would understand how much better you are as a base for our lives. Happiness is good, but you're better. Happiness is limited, but you have no limits. When we have tragedy and loneliness and desperation, we're not happy. We can't find happiness to save our lives. 
but you will be there with us to comfort us and encourage us and help us and lead us to people who might be able to do the same. And so, Father, I pray that we would today realize not that happiness is bad, but that it's just limited. And that we would understand that it's okay to be happy, but it cannot, should not be our number one pursuit in life. And that maybe, just maybe, we've made happiness too big a thing. And that maybe, just maybe, one of the consequences of making happiness too big a thing is that we've ended up disappointed, is that we've ended up disappointed and less happy. And so, Father, help us to lean on you above all things. And that when we have those good days and we're happy, we celebrate and we, we, we praise your good name. And on the days when happiness leaves because tragedy comes, we know that we still have a place to look and that you're there. Thank you for never leaving us. Thank you for never breaking off from us because of our foolishness, but you follow us even into our bad choices. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son so that we might have life forever with you. We pray all this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.